Hey everybody, before we get into today's episode, I want to give a quick disclaimer. There's a few of them actually. Uh, the audio in this one got really messed up in the process, uh, just involving Brandon's audio. Uh, so you might hear an echo sometimes. There was nothing I could do to fix that. It's just very subtle in a few spots. Also, Jeff's audio for some reason goes up and down throughout and if you're watching this on the video, you might see Brandon out of sync sometimes. That's because the connection on my end was just bad. As you can see, there are a lot of issues, but it's still a pretty good episode. <laughs> so, I'm losing my mind. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hello, welcome to the 95th episode of the Karskast MovieCast. Uh, Jeff, real quick, in terms of area, what is the largest borough in New York City? Um, Queens? Yeah, actually. Nice job. Hey! Nice job. Um, <laughs> cool. With that out of the way, uh, we have a special guest today that I'm super excited about. I'm sure Jeff is super excited about. Uh, yeah, one time on this podcast, I said he was a former guest, even though he wasn't. He wasn't, yeah. But now he's a current guest. Uh, Brandon Hoy. He's a current guest. Yeah, going? what's going on? <laughs> Good to have you here. Yeah. Um, uh, and this is kind of like our Sundance episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the reason I say that and did a weird, like, whatever that head movement I just did was. Yeah. Uh, is that Brandy... Our guy over here has a film that he shot in Sundance. Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it still feels like it's not like an actual thing that's happening, but um, no, I'm super, super it stoked about it. So, yeah, I was going to ask you like, and I'm, I mean, it hasn't really started yet, but like, what is the way of getting the film out been like virtually like is it weird at all like what has it been like since you got into the festival <laughs> um yeah that's a good question because like normally i feel like the thing about sundance as a filmmaker is that you get to go and you get to like meet all mm -hmm. these people and stuff yeah, yeah um but sundance is doing like a bunch of like virtual meetups for filmmakers but that stuff hasn't happened yet so um i think it's like early february that a lot of that stuff is going to start happening right now so like so far it's really just been trying to get like friends and family and people to like get festival passes so that they can see the film when it comes out but yeah mm -hmm. yeah i'm looking forward to the networking aspect of it for sure yeah well um, do we want to talk about the film a little bit yeah totally. i don't even think we've mentioned the title of it right <laughs> Yeah, we haven't at all. It's, it's, we've been like very ambiguous about the whole thing so far. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the title of the film is BJ's Mobile Gift Shop. Um, it's in the shorts portion. I think it's the first shorts program uh, in Sundance. Uh, if somebody is interested in watching the film, uh, you can purchase an Explorer pass, and then that like pass will grant you access to those short films. Um, I've been fortunate to watch the other films that are in our in our like 
uh, program, and there's some really mm. incredible stuff in there. Um, so, but yours is better. Hundred percent recommend people <laughs> to to get the pass and check those films out. Um, and yeah, it's just an honor to be programmed with some of those short. Like, there's there's seriously some incredible work in there. So, I would check it out for sure. Yeah. So I, Karsten and I both watched your film, right? We did, yeah. Karsten has yeah. an alarm going off real quick. Yeah, someone's cooking uh, something in the kitchen. Gotcha, yeah. Such a hot short film. I. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that yeah. was the good short film alarm. Yeah. Um, but uh, I really yeah, I loved it. At least. I did too. Hell yeah. I'm glad that like. It's a. What are you going to say, Jeff? <laughs> I was going to say, it's just, it's like a, it, it made me miss Chicago. That's what I was going to say. Even though... It's a very quintessentially Chicagoan Chicagoan mm-hmm. film. Totally, yeah, that totally. was one of the things that like so Jason, the director, who's like awesome, he's an incredible filmmaker, a good friend of mine. Like one of the things that we like set out from the start was like so he uh grew up in the area and he lived in Chicago for a while and then he moved out to LA and he always wanted to like come back to Chicago and make like a love letter to Chicago kind of thing. And so for us, like a big part of the whole like visual language and the narrative was to like do this very like on the move, like lots of locations, like feels very Chicago sort of uh, vibe. So it makes me really happy that you guys that you guys yeah, noticed yeah. that. That definitely came across. And also, I will say that, and this is obviously we're not giving anything away from this since it's uh, not generally available anywhere yet. <laughs> but the the one shot of like the skyline was that was I, that was like one of my favorite chicago skyline shots because that's a you did it from a location that i've been to so many times and i feel like most films that have chicago skyline shots they're just like they're doing it so the skyline looks the most impressive where you did it from like a location that people actually go to yeah and that was like another thing that we talked about was um is like we didn't want it to be like a chicago film like just from like a tourist perspective um there's actually like even more stuff that we shot that's like in different neighborhoods that didn't end up making the cut i think in total we shot in like five or six different neighborhoods and then including like the loop so um and then like going to places like we shot under underneath the l tracks and um, right, right yeah, yeah. Wicker, wicker park. park yeah we shot in wicker park and we shot in humboldt park and just like trying to get like a bunch of different feeling areas um and then on top of that too uh we shot like down near the magnificent mile like during all the christmas craziness mm-hmm. so like getting some of that like hustle and bustle uh like practically in the film was really cool and i guess now too like with the way that things are now it's really interesting to watch that film. Um, I mean, yeah, I yeah. haven't been back to the Magnificent Mile since like February or whatever, but yeah, I was there like a week before everything closed, and obviously, I'm not even in Chicago anymore. Yeah, so I haven't seen any of this stuff in forever. So that's why it was nice to see. Yeah, totally. But totally. yeah, no, it was, um, and I think that that was a big part of like the sound design as well was that. Like, a lot of, like, the train sounds were mixed, like, pretty high in the mix. And so it, like, felt like the people underneath the trains were, like, actually, like, yelling over the train to communicate with each other. And, I, yeah, I, I just think that, like, a lot of the, the 
goal of the film was to make it feel like it's like somewhat lived in Chicago rather than just like yeah. using Chicago as a prop. Yeah, you got kind of lucky with when you shot this since it's a film about like interactions that literally cannot happen now. Yeah. That is interesting. Before. I haven't thought about that. So I feel like that even makes the allure of it like even people who are currently in Chicago like Karsten, it still feels like nostalgic for a time when Chicago was a city where strangers had interactions. That's what I was going to say, because you were like, it made me miss Chicago, and I'm currently in Chicago, but it's it's a different time watching the short. Because, um, like, so much of Chicago is, like, the community aspect. I think, like, that's what it has above mm-hmm. other big cities, especially, like, I don't know if you count L.A., but, like, when I was in L.A., I was like, this is not, I don't know. You really start to, like, appreciate the people in Chicago, and this, I think, did a great job at showcasing that. Thank but, you. Oh, I was just going to say, the, I love the way you shot it, just with <laughs> how many, like, close-ups there are. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I I feel like the the, like, visual language of that film was very much, like, to kind of like at a certain point make the camera sort of like fade away and that it feels like we're just like watching this guy mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it was uh a very small budget which i think is something that is interesting to get into but um so we didn't have the means to do much that was like very flashy or anything like that but i don't i don't really think that that works with the the narrative anyways um I don't know. Like, I don't. Should I explain more about the film? For sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Who? I mean, hopefully people check it out with uh, at Sundance. But um, if not, it's basically about this guy who runs a a gift shop out of like a suitcase, and so he's like an opportunist who tries to like sort of read the the I guess pulse of the city and like try to predict what people will need. And then, like, sell what they need in the moment to them. So, like, he tries to, like, go to people rather than people go to him. Um, And I think it just, like, embodies this character who is, like, very much about this hustle. Um, But uh, he's this Asian-American who lives with his grandparents who want him to get, like, a more formal type of stable job. And... It's a little bit into that, like peeling back the the layers to sort of look at, you know, what makes this guy happy versus like what he's kind of expected to do, and um, yeah, I don't know, I I think it's like a nice little character portrait. Yeah, it squeezes so much into like its actual runtime. Like I feel like I get such a whole look at who this guy is, and yeah. I really like yeah, I think idea. a lot of that credit too. I just got to shout out the editor Zoe Kraft, um, because I think trying to like really get everything that you can into that runtime was definitely a challenge. Like having seen like the assembly cut to the final cut, I think it really yeah. came a long way. Yeah, the editing was great. I also want to give a shout out to our friend, the colorist Sam Howells. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I. this is for real, though. The color of it, I feel like Chicago has, when you're actually there, a very specific color palette. And this film definitely, like, was able to emphasize that with how it was colored. Yeah, I think Sam did a great job. Uh, it's, like, a lot of that, like, 
bluish gray of like the concrete tone mm-hmm. um and i mean yeah sam crushed it there was like a lot of stuff where like the sun was like running away from me or the clouds were running away from me on the other side of things and besides like two little shots that still bug me um i feel like sam did a really good job like uh blending everything together and um yeah i think i think he crushed it it's funny i remember um i feel like at the time there was like a lot of things that i i both of us wished that we had like tweaked a little bit um but i do think it's something that has aged well because we shot this close to two years ago i mean it's kind of it's kind of been like uh either in the editing room or like waiting to start the festival circuit um for a while now oh wait so you didn't shoot it like december of 2019 you shot it 2018 i believe so yeah damn wow that's that's a while ago (laughs) and it was like pretty early in because I at that point I feel like I'd only been shooting for like shooting seriously for like two and a half years maybe yeah so it was yeah. like pretty early on in my my sort of like process but that's yeah. that's awesome well you can't you can't tell yeah <laughs> um uh, what what camera did you shoot it on uh, we shot Alexa Mini with uh, Zeiss B speeds which are like if if anybody's familiar with super speeds um if not they're like these uh these lenses from the 1950s um and they have three aperture blades um as opposed to like most lenses will have like five to eight depending on the optical design but like because of that they give you this like the the out of focus bokeh it like in the background yeah uh, yeah. like is usually like a bunch of little circles or like people would be familiar with like seeing just like you know the out of focus like nighttime right, shots right. it's like all the circles or like christmas lights is like the classic one where it's just like a bunch of so instead of being dots. circular because of like the triangle yeah uh three blade aperture design they have like these um these triangular like shapes in the out of focus area yeah i okay it that just registered with me now because there was one shot specifically where i'm like there i was my brain was processing that they were triangles but i and i was like something's slightly weird about this but i didn't like it wasn't like strong for me to make like a huge mental note to be like wait a second yeah but especially in the christmas tree that, shot I, at the yeah, end yeah, you really yeah, yeah. feel it <laughs> i was like something feels weird about this yeah they're but fun I, little I lenses um but yeah it was uh um gosh what is the the there was like an equipment rental house that really helped us out. Um, uh, Divisionist Films, um, they there, helped there us you. out uh, to get the mini, which was really cool. And then my buddy Stephen Wester at Atlas Lighting, uh, he hooked us up with the the B speed. Just gotta shout everyone out, you know. <laughs> yeah. If anyone's looking to get lighting rentals, go to Atlas Lighting in Chicago. <laughs> um. I do want to touch on this, which is, like, semi-unrelated to the film, but I imagine, like, some of our listeners are considering, like, pursuing the DP route or, like, just any side of that. Um, And we haven't really, I mean, we've had Nick on, but we haven't had a ton of, like, DPs on the pod. And I just wanted to see if you had any, like, advice for 
people who wanted to go into that field um um yeah i think uh a couple of pieces of advice that i would have is um first of all like just kind of uh experiment with things and don't be afraid to make mistakes when you're shooting um i think that that's kind of a thing that a lot of uh cinematographers when they're first starting out is you know like lighting is very scary there's like a lot of variables and stuff but it's okay to to make mistakes with that um and you're only going to learn from that moving forward um i guess some other advice too is to like kind of reach out and and try to find like some sort of mentor people that uh have you know are doing projects that maybe you would like to be doing or you know you like the style or whatever and just try to um just become friends with those people um Mm -hmm. and expand your network that way um what else i would say watch movies (laughs) uh i mean that's like the obvious thing but i think that um I would say watch movies in the sense that you're trying to like gain all kinds of different ways to shoot things like you're like analyze how someone like lit a scene yeah like i think uh i think it's really important too to sort of take a step back and think about why a certain scene or a certain movie may be making you feel a certain way um because it's oftentimes very intimately related with cinematography um, and I think once you can start sort of uh, pinpointing why certain things are making you feel a certain way that um, you can kind of start, you know, developing your visual language and your understanding of visual languages. Um, and then the other thing, too, I think is, and I would I'd say this for like anyone who's trying to get into the film industry is like, uh, don't just be interested in cinema, like be in like be a human being as well. And like you know try to like have hobbies and you know enjoy other forms of art and um things like that because i think you know Mm -hmm. just being uh sort of open to like the real world sort of makes it can kind of naturally make your work kind of resonate with people who are also living in the real world Unless you're a first AC, then you can just be interested in cinema, right? Yeah, then you can just worry about (laughs) pulling focus. (laughs) Sweet. Sweet. But yeah, I would also say at the end of that, if if anybody, uh, you know, wants to reach out to me or anything, um, my Instagram, you can just DM me and I promise you I will respond. (laughs) I don't get that many DMs. (laughs) Yeah, follow. Yeah, plug your Instagram. What is it? It's a H period E G. There you go. For See, sure. the period is like a, an O. Right. Or just look up my name. Right. My name, Brandon Hoig. So yeah. it'll be on there too. H O E G. Hoig. But yeah, feel free to reach Hoig. out. I'm. I love talking to you know, uh, and just networking with people who are in the industry. So. Yeah, totally. Um, well, that's pretty cool um i don't know if you have anything else to say jeff or if brand you have anything else to say about the short uh but we could well i you know what i'm gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna give brandon a quick curveball oh and this is just for for people who are like just starting to be dps um when you are encountering a scene just like generally uh what would be the first few steps of like deciding how to light it 
Um, in terms of like, uh, well, I think there's kind of a bit of a process that I go through and, um, I am like a very lighting focused sort of person. Um, but, uh, very basically I try to figure out what is sort of like a natural way that characters can move through the space. And obviously that's working with the director on the blocking and stuff. Um, and then, you know, next I try to generally speaking, uh, try to place light behind the characters um so if you know if it's a situation where there's like a big window in the room and you have two characters and they're talking to each other you know shooting like towards that window where you can motivate that light source and and get that like far side key from them um i think that uh thinking about all of your shots at once too, like uh, doing overheads, uh, especially when you're starting out to like understand the geometry of the scene um, is super important because, you know, you could learn that later on this character has an action where they like turn around and have some action back to the other character, but now they've like worked themselves into a corner. And so like, you just have to think about what you're going to do when you get to that point. So I think, um, I don't know if I answered the question at all, but I would say just try to understand like the geometry of the entire scene. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's something that a lot of people who are starting out forget about. You know, it's really fun to just focus on like, uh, you know, the two shot or like the single of your hero character. Um, But also understanding like the geometry as a whole and like taking a step back. I think it's, um, I think that's probably one of the, the most important things and then from there you can kind of start placing your light and I guess to answer the question more specifically like in lighting terms um, you know generally speaking try to put the light behind the characters and then start motivating from like realistic sources that we can see so like an example of that is like windows or um, like if you know there's a computer screen and the characters looking at the computer screen like you can motivate that source of light, like pushing into the room more or like a lamp. That's like a super common one. Um, And I think people who are just starting don't understand that like light, like motivating light, the actual source of the light is not the thing that's motivating it. Right. So when someone has a shot of them looking at a computer, the actual computer is not generally going to be what lights their face. It's going to be like a light where the computer would be. Yeah. Um, but also like if you're starting out, it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes it's cool. Well, you, you, sometimes you need to do that cause you don't actually have access to any lights for sure. I, I just mean, I think that's like a, a big mental hurdle just starting is realizing that you're just pumping in like a bunch of extra light that is just pretending to be things. Yeah. I listen. We're talking about at like the very beginner level, like, like, like my level. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. How is that lamp that bright? <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's, um, I listened to, oh, God, I'm going to try not to talk about Roger Deakins too much, but I listened to the Team Deakins podcast, and uh, they have an episode where he talks about how, event, like, Billy O'Leary's, like, a big-time gaffer, he's gaffed, like, massive movies, um, and he talks about how, like, his dream is to, like, one day light an entire feature film, like, just with things that you can buy at Home Depot, so I think that that's also like an interesting, you know, like there's people who are some of the best in the world at lighting and, you know, would have no issues lighting an entire feature film with things that you can buy at Home Depot. 
So I'd say for people like starting out, just, you know, keep that in mind that uh, light sort of exists all around us and there's ways to, like, you don't need like a $6,000 sky panel to mm-hmm. be able to make something that looks good. Yeah, but it does help. <laughs> it does help. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, uh, Rachel Morrison. Uh, she's a cinematographer in the ASC. Um, and she did Mudbound. Uh, and then, like, basically, if I remember correctly, like, immediately went to production of Black Panther. And she was talking about, like, like everyone's like what's the difference like between doing you know like a, a more grounded like netflix i think that mudbound was like 10 million or something like that yeah um yeah. in that ballpark at least and she, they were like what's like the difference between doing like a grounded like run and gun east style like netflix feature versus doing like this huge marvel movie and she was like well uh on mudbound i would be fighting for 10 sky panels for a day and then on uh, Black Panther, I'd be fighting for a hundred, and so it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Money doesn't uh, money doesn't necessarily solve all of your problems. I guess is is the the thing I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> but if we are going to continue talking about the budget stuff, it could be interesting to talk about the budget with BJ's mobile gift shop. <laughs> um, it was a like I think the budget from pre to like the entire production production budget was i think five thousand dollars um so i mean i'm sure that that probably sounds like a decent amount of money to some people it's probably all stuff for the mobile gift shop (laughs) (laughs) but realistically like five thousand dollars to uh to do like a super run it i think we had four days of shooting um and uh you know, so to to have a film that is so low budget that is mm-hmm. in like a shorts program where, like, I know for a fact there's like uh, a like four hundred thousand dollars short that's in our program. <laughs> yeah. So um, to like be even you know screening in that that same thing. So I think I don't know. I guess maybe one of the themes I'm trying to hit here is that it's not necessarily always about the budget that you have. Um, and sometimes it's, uh, it's important to just try to put the best ideas forward and, and make something that feels like genuine Yeah. and yeah. hope that that resonates with people in the long run. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good note. Cause I think sometimes people starting out will make, they'll write these scripts that they'll then try to like force to be super low budget but it really shouldn't be and this and uh bj's mobile gift shop is clearly a film where like even if you had a larger budget there would be no like reason for it to be larger for what this like the concept was so it's just like don't force a high budget idea to be a low budget film i think you can just kind of try to craft a low budget film from the outset i think that might be a better use of time uh, Carson, anyways, I don't. Anyways. I don't mean to. Uh, I don't mean to like throw you under the bus or anything. But what's been your experience with like navigating the budget side of things and like trying to make something that you feel passionate about? Well, I haven't had like a ridiculous amount of experience like making shorts myself. I made. I like made that one short film last year, Rhubarb, um, and that had a budget of like it was not that much. I think we only like capped it on the indiegogo at like 2000 or something i have to double check that 
Um, and because it was so low and because I think I promoted it pretty hard on my Twitter, like didn't have a huge issue with that. But I also like, I, I do aim low on purpose for the same reason. I honestly think that, and I literally, I'm glad you brought up Roger Deakins podcast. Cause I was just listening to it like this week. Um, like the lower the budget, I think the sometimes the better the film, just because it forces you to get a lot more creative with what you're trying to do, and it just makes for a lot more interesting ideas. Uh, and I know that wasn't really answering the question, but yeah, I I haven't really had a ton of experience with uh, budgeting because I haven't really needed to mm-hmm. make a huge budget yet. But yeah. Do you guys yeah. feel like, because I know that you both uh, get, like make some stuff and um, are interested in that side of things. Do you guys ever feel like there's like an idea that feels that you have and that feels genuine to you that feels out of reach because you're like worried about the budget side of things or like what, how does that all feel um, for um, you guys? Yeah. I, well, okay. So the, I haven't made anything since. I left DePaul and when I was at DePaul I would intentionally try to make things like on you know using DePaul equipment and their sound stages um, which is would be a ridiculous way to make things if you're not at DePaul (laughs) because I you know I made that web series where it was like a five episode web series um, on a sound stage using two cameras with like a free crew so the budget of that um, was $2,500 $2,500 for like a 45 minute web series shot on sound stages, which obviously it would be astronomical if you were trying to shoot it that exact same way, not through DePaul. It would be like $80,000 if you were paying everyone or something. So I haven't had a lot of experience um, like trying to actually craft a real budget for like an, a, a real project, not through a school that's giving you crew and money. Yeah. I mean, I don't, that's the thing. I don't really, like, if I'm writing something or want to make something, I definitely, do, I, the budget is, like, a thing that comes into play when the budget is a thing we have to start paying attention to. Like, a lot of the stuff I'm interested in making, like, coincidentally just doesn't require a huge budget. I'm not that kind of guy, but, yeah, so, I don't know. Not really, to answer the question. I think that's a good thing. Um, I feel like I'm sometimes getting into this like weird territory where and like meeting with uh, new directors and writers and stuff where there's a lot of like really good scripts, I think, that I'm kind of like running into and people are kind of sending my way and stuff. And and then you're kind of sitting in this like weird area where you're just waiting for like, like, please, somebody give us just enough money to make this <laughs> yeah. um, type yeah. thing. So. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I would encourage anyone to just try to make something as you're starting out. And um, I think focusing on making something that feels real is ultimately going to be better. I don't know. Um, No, I actually just had someone who listens to the podcast. Like, they asked me for some, like, advice on, like, general, like, filmmaking because they're just starting out. Um, and then like a few days ago, they sent me like the finished product, um, of the film they made. And obviously the budget for it was like nothing. Um, but it was like, it told a story and it was like reasonably shot 
And if they were trying to go to film school, like that film would get them into most film schools. Mm-hmm. Like, and it cost them nothing. And it's like, they executed the idea. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's yeah. important. Um, and like, just kind of seeing that something like VJ's that, I mean, five, like the budget is like remarkably small for, I yeah, think what yeah. we did. Um, and seeing that that like resonated with people, I think is just like an idea that I hopefully can like pass on to people who are listening and like yeah, yeah. trying to get into something like this. I think you, you got to make, uh, go back and make a feature bj's mobile get feature <laughs> we'll see what happens i guess there's allegedly maybe a little bit of interest but i don't want to you know yeah, put yeah, too, sure, i don't sure. want to put too much out there <laughs> well i guess we, we can get into the the film real quick though i will say if anyone purchases a pass for that block of films and sends it to us we'll give you a shout out on twitter of course yes, absolutely yeah um, um anyways though speaking of roger deakins Hell yeah. I was like, there are like multiple segues we could make here into this. There's so many. <laughs> into this next one. Um, this uh, Today we're talking about No Country for Old Men. Uh, at, this is the at, this two weeks in a row we're talking about the Coen brothers. And I'm very, no offense to uh, a serious man, very excited about this one though. <laughs> uh, because <laughs> I love a serious man. This is like, this is something very special. Um, and I, like, haven't watched it in so long, which is why I was, like, really excited to check it out again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will read the synopsis briefly. Uh, this is a 2007 film directed by the Coen brothers, and it reads, While out hunting, Llewellyn Moss finds his grisly aftermath of a drug deal. Though he knows better, he cannot resist the cash left behind and takes it with him. The hunter becomes the hunted when a merciless uh, killer picks up his trail. Also looking for Moss... Uh, is Sheriff Bell on an aging lawman who reflects on a changing world and a dark secret of his own as he tries to find and protect Moss. Uh, that's the basics of it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a... We read all these Google synopses, and usually... Maybe not usually, but a lot of times, they don't really give you an idea for the film. No. I think this one does a pretty solid job. That's a great synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, this one's one of the better. Um, so, so, Brandon... Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. No, you uh, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say we. Uh, Carson usually does this, but I'm just doing it for a change. Uh, we always ask ask uh, our guests. What am I doing? I'm not even saying English words. At this point. <laughs> uh, we always ask our guests uh, why they picked this film. Yeah. So uh, I. So this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I was a little nervous to pick it because it's not like. It's not like bold or anything for this to to like love this film, <laughs> um, but I thought that uh, it's an interesting film to look at, especially in terms of Anton and like character development and uh, how to play a villain. Um, and I think that um, it's also kind of a unique opportunity to talk about the way that uh, lighting kind of impacts the mood. Um, and tone of the overall film, um, which is just something that I love talking about. And uh, on top of that, I mean, I was just trying to like, I think that uh, in my sh- in the short that uh, we were talking about earlier, I think that uh, BJ is a strong um, character study. And so I think just like continuing this theme of, of character studies and, and how they resonate with an audience is 
it's just really fun to talk about for mm-hmm. sure yeah um i would say that like this is at this point especially because it's been over 10 years since it came out like i'd consider it a classic um i don't know about anybody else here uh but it definitely yeah I've, yeah i feel like anything that <laughs> wins like best picture right can count as that yeah except for except for uh green book green book there's a few others i've never yeah. i've never seen green book i just know you hate it wait have you i don't like green book. you don't like green book either okay i remember <laughs> one of the first conversations i've had with brandon was at a party like two years ago and we went off about roma and then ranted about green book for like <laughs> 20 minutes um so yeah i actually already knew, knew that but um, um <laughs> where do we where probably do we... just screaming at each other in like the middle of like a, a tiny chicago hallway <laughs> exactly um but yeah i do i don't know where to start with this uh this is your first time though jeff so i guess we can start there uh it is my first time to me it's like very i mean it's kind of surprising to me to uh somebody who's like into movies that they haven't seen this film do you hear that dog Oh yeah, it's not too bad. I was okay. just wondering what you were doing. Yeah, I'm just I'm just I was trying to text someone to get rid of the dog. Oh yeah. <laughs> Here, um, give me okay. You're gonna Alright, we're on pause. We're on pause. <laughs> okay, no, 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 I think they're gonna okay. get okay. there. Okay, we're good, we're good. Sorry about um, that. Um <laughs> But general impressions, Jeff? Did you did you like it? Um yeah, no, I loved it. Okay. What if you hated it? I don't know what that would. Yeah, what if I was like, very, this, this would be such a challenging seen. episode for okay, me. So, so, yeah, so on on Letterbox though, um, I just because I felt like it months ago, I just followed anyone who like asked me to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I like looked through all of the reviews from all these people. Um, and there were a few that were like one star. Oh wow! For this film. For this film. So there's a few people who listen to this podcast who think this is a one-star film. Some people don't like this because, like, it's super... I would say it's it's very slow and quiet. I mean, like, there's large... Yeah, I think large, they thought it was, like, too straightforward or something. There's large of chunks like of time with cat and mouse. no uh, dialogue at all. And, yeah, people think it's it's a little too, like, on the nose of, like, this is just a guy. The hunted is being... Or the hunter is, yeah. you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I could see if you were looking at it from like a very specific angle uh, of like just the action happening, I could kind of get that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think when you're analyzing it as a character study, I think a lot of doors are open mm-hmm. for for viewing this. Um, yeah. So I do not agree with those people. I will say, <laughs> um, I like this film a lot. Yeah, I think Anton is, and I'm glad you you were gonna talk about this a little bit, Brandon. But like one of the greatest, like one one of the greatest performances, and two like just one of the greatest characters in general. I mean, mm-hmm. like is able to stay on one note to a certain extent the entire film, but also very subtly kind of rise throughout. Um, and just get a little bit crazier and a little bit more, I, I don't know how to describe it, to be honest. Um, but I think what's so unique about both this film and Anton is that it never feels like there is something that's like, uh, in a rush to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. it never mm-hmm. feels like mm-hmm. Anton like feels like he's lost uh, control of this situation. Like you don't as he's tracking uh, uh, as he's uh, tracking Ed like through like uh, you know all of these places and stuff. It's like um, it never feels like the frustration of of like slipping away is really like getting to him, and it feels like he genuinely believes that he is like it has the upper hand in yeah every moment. oh it, it definitely feels like there's an inevitability to everything he does where he it's just like you know he's just kind of on a quest that he's it's like in his mind obviously going to be successful with and i mean i think his like the the scene where he like gets pulled over mm-hmm. i think that scene is like such a brutal like introduction to what he's like truly about um and like it just makes him feel like so like the like the weapon design as well yeah um it just like is so menacing and uh i don't know it just feels it feels like he is so like succinctly a unique uh character that um you know you think is like just insane um but also then you have the the incredible coin toss scene (laughs) yeah it's like such a controlled thing yeah um i think that's really interesting is you know that he has like he has like a limit he has rules that he plays Mm -hmm. by to an extent um and yeah i i just think that that's so interesting yeah Someone brought it up. I can't remember who's was Jeff or Brandon, but just like it, it's a very, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's a predictable movie, but a lot of, like you said, his decisions are inevitable and you just, you kind of know before he does something that he's already made up his mind. Um, and that's just, it happens <laughs> like every 10 minutes, it feels like at a certain point. Um, and that's kind of like what I love about this movie is it's it is inevitable yes but it still somehow keeps you on the edge. Um, yeah, I don't think there's like necessarily something wrong with a film being like quote unquote predictable. Yeah, like yeah, I, as long like, as it I does could it easily make an argument that Drive is a very predictable film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, no, yeah, I, I I'm on the same page here. So where... I think it's about like what that filmmaker does within that narrative. Right. It's like, I mean, it's a, it's actually a tool you can use. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, where, like having you knowing what's going to happen, but the character not knowing. Yeah, yeah. I also feel like the border scene is really not that predictable. No, no. Okay, okay. Like if you if you told me that the first time you watched that film, you knew that was coming, I would say you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. No. Yeah. Um, that's a great point. I just, I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, this is my second time, but the first time I saw this was in like 2008, 2000. I didn't see this in theaters. I was a baby. So you were what? You were like three? Yeah, I was around three years old. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's the math. Um, yeah, it just, I think it, I also just like wasn't that, into or familiar with films at that time it just hits completely different it did feel like the first time watching it now even though i knew what happened it's just 
it does such a great job. I compare a lot of things to Parasite because I think that's just kind of the cream of the crop as far as like <laughs> leaving you on edge and having that rewatchability. And I don't know. I just I feel like I can get something new out of this one every time I watch it the same way I can with that because it's very specific and straightforward, but also has so many different characters with so many different things yeah. to offer. Um, and it's not about the reveal. Like no, that's you know that's why it's so easy to rewatch. Yeah, because I, I definitely could see myself rewatching this like next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it's, it's about uh, you know what, Brandon, you you tell us what it's about. I mean, I think that there's like aside from just like talking about Anton and Ed is like you know you have like the strangulation scene of the deputy in the beginning mm-hmm. and like you just get so much you're told so much about where we are like in the country like by seeing like the way that this police off or police station looks and um just seeing like the way that the deputy like carries themselves before they're strangled and um you see like so much of this like in Anton's face as it's just like completely you know emotionless as he mm-hmm. strangles this dude and you have you know this incredible shot of like all the heel marks all over the floor and uh all this stuff i mean i mean those are like images that just like stick with you as you continue to watch the film you like understand like the brutality of this character yeah. um and i mean you also have like uh uh like chef bell's secretary like you know that that wide shot before he even comes in she's like sitting at the desk and she's just like everything like you know immediately who this woman is mm-hmm. yeah and uh you know there's and like carla jean's mother and you have like the poolside woman and then you have the the um the like badass dudes that like roll up uh in the truck and then you have um like the store clerk and you just have all of these people that in in without using like any sort of like traditional narrative like expose like it's all visual language that you feel like you know exactly who all of these peripheral characters are just through like seeing the the world that these people exist in totally that's a great point and this i see this in a lot of coen brothers movies is they pay a lot of attention to those like side characters like the characters that the they usually have no other scenes besides the one that they're in um because it just adds a lot of flavor to why anton is so menacing because these movies aren't they don't read like i mean they're movies but they don't feel like they take place in a movie world they're very realistic at the end of the day and i think that's why so many of the events in this and other coen brothers movies are just so memorable because you're like, this is, I feel like I'm, I would be that yeah. character too. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Like all the rabbis in a serious man are so specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the suspension of disbelief is so small mm-hmm. in films mm-hmm. like this that you can just seamlessly sort of flow into this world. Like, yeah. Even from, even just getting even more simple than like, you know, the production design of, you know, these characters' spaces, like, you see the trucks that everybody is driving, like, mm-hmm. in the cartel mm-hmm. scene, and then, like, you know, you have that great shot as, like, the sun is setting, and he drives up in, like, that old Ford F-150, and you're like, like, I know exactly who this person is based on, like, the things that they have and the clothes that mm-hmm. they wear, and 
And I think that that's why you don't need the dialogue that comes in in other films. Like, that's why you don't need a lot of cutting. That's why you don't need, uh, you know, I guess that's like the counterpoint to when people say that it's boring or predictable. It's like you're kind of understanding these characters and like formulating your connections with them. And the, the film doesn't feel like it's in a rush to get somewhere to like make you feel a certain way or make you, um, you know, it's like if we, if you want to take something like uncut gems or something, uh, for an example, you know, like shooting so tight and you're like with these unique characters and like, you're always cutting and like, you just know that the craziest shit is going to happen to him. It's like, that is such a different energy of like understanding these characters rather than like, Hey, these characters are like going through life and like Anton is catching up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like yeah. and, we don't know you, exactly you, where they will collide and i think that's where like that tension comes from yeah and do you prefer this type of film to something like uncut gems uh i don't know if like prefer is the right word um it's just like viewing it as a different tool to accomplish kind of a similar thing yeah and i would say that the language that both of those films chose was absolutely correct for those scripts yeah mm-hmm. you know like like as an exercise like imagine this film shot like the born supremacy you know like <laughs> yeah, realistically yeah. it's not that much different if you're boiling it down to like the the this person being chased for money or for you know whatever it is um yeah you know that's a lot of what the born movie is is jason born is chasing somebody else while somebody else chases him um you know it's not like it's uh never before seen like cinematic theme or something but uh i feel like it just the ability of the film to to slow down and like sort of let the characters interweave with each other and like be in their normal lives um is what sets it apart you know the film i've said it like i feel like i've said it way too much but the film isn't in a rush no yeah, yeah. totally i hate to use this word but it's borderline psychedelic like that's the best way i can describe it i don't know if anyone here has seen dead man that one jim jarmusch movie you have it's sick yeah it's this like i can kind of see a little bit of that in this just in the way it embraces the like trudging through the west vibe um there's the one fade of like the blood on the carpet and it it fades in with the brush in the desert kind of near the end of the film and it's very subtle but very slow and you're in the carpet matches and i'm just like this is that's exactly what i'd want out of this movie and i think that also enhances the like experience of kind of leaning into anton's head a little you know just not really you've you've already said it before not in a rush to get anywhere um and kind of embracing the uh mundane a little bit uh but yeah i don't want i don't want to say mundane but just like the the space but yeah i know i think that that's something that is like acutely connected to this like texas landscape mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the space yeah and like yeah. the amount of ground that they're covering in this chase mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i think it's also worth discussing is like um is how unclear uh 
like how unclear like where Llewellyn is going mm. mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. yeah for like 90 percent of the film you know it's like once he makes that like very like the the inciting incident like portion of the film and then he, when he like d- answers that call to action i feel like this film is very much like a hero's journey film so i'm just gonna like use those terms <laughs> yeah, yeah um it's like a refined hero's journey and mm-hmm. this the third act is like a little bit changed but um the first act is like textbook hero's journey like inciting incident finding the money and then when he finally leaves from the the mobile home uh with his wife um that's like the answering the call it's like from that point like you don't really know what he thinks like he's going to do with this money um Mm -hmm. or like it's not super clear what his like intention is but like you as a viewer just like understand that him as a human being is like how can i get away with this money yeah and i think that I think that that's something that's also really interesting where like you are like sort of rooting for this character to like get what they Commit want a crime. <laughs> even though it's like a crime and you also don't really know what exactly it is that they want mm-hmm. yeah it's i think that's interesting yeah it's it's interesting how this is a film like about bad choices being rewarded <laughs> in in like good choices being like punished yeah kind of kind of yeah um yeah it's just like i mean i guess it's i don't know if i have a fully formed thought here <laughs> but it's like i don't know it's like a you know it's a western and it's like but now with there was like this period of like stasis where it was like fairly like safe at least according to like you know the sheriff and then it's like they're back in the wild west and it's like kind of a western film there, there's i'm saying a bunch of words here um, no i think you're right it's like this modern day western that sort right. of flips some elements of the classical western on its head where it's like uh i mean like in some ways llewellyn is supposed to be like this like uh you know cowboy-esque character that you root for yeah but yeah. he's also like it's like where is the redeeming character like you understand that he's trying to do it for his family because you know you can tell that they don't have like the best living situation and so you understand that that's like the want is to put your family in a better situation so like naturally you're going to to root for that like human quality right but the thing is like every like bad decision he makes are the ones that he would have gotten away with if he didn't make like the morally correct decision where it's like if he didn't go back the first time, he probably would have like never had any issues. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. I wanted to like briefly mention the sound in the film, like not just the sound design, which is phenomenal, but mm-hmm. like the score, which is like so subtle but very so uh, so very... haunting because it's like. It's like one of my. It, I love it when this happens in movies. It happened in First Reformed, where it's like you don't realize music started playing until like you're way deep into it, and it's the movie's way of kind of just slowly creeping itself into your mind without knowing, and it makes for a very kind of like I don't want to say out of body, but <laughs> it definitely like enhances the experience a lot, and this is a very good example of that. Uh, yeah 
I forget who did the score. I wish I could credit, um, but yeah. Anyways, just. Uh, I was hoping Brandon knew. Yeah, I know. I, th- I expected Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Compopser. It is Carter. The music Burwell. by Carter Burwell. Yeah. Burwell. Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> Brandon, you said you had more like more like Carter's scores. Well. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, <laughs> this is why we keep you around, Jeff. Um, <laughs> wait, uh, Brandon, you said you had like a, a scene breakdown of some something for this. Uh, yeah, this is, I don't know. Uh, Maybe I thought it would be kind of cool to to talk a little bit about the uh, the coin toss scene. Yeah, of course, it's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I I figured uh, maybe this would be. Uh, a cool opportunity to just talk about like how they use visual language to also build tension within the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'll just kind of, you know, go for it. You have, you have this shot as, as Anton walks in and you have the reverse of the cashier and, you know, there's like all the peanuts in the foreground and like the wrenches and like belts and everything for like every kind of car and there's just like way too much stuff like jammed into one spot Mm -hmm. and like we Mm -hmm. know from the this like high angle like wide shot that there's just like nothingness on either side of this this gas station so you sort of have already built up the like isolation of these characters that there's like really no no exiting um uh i think that a lot of times uh an establishing shot is is sometimes just that where it's just establishing the space but i think the interesting thing to note here is that it's like very clear in in this in this shot that uh it's you know there's one car that's parked there and it's anton's car and you can see for miles and miles that there's like nothing else mm-hmm. in the distance is just the road and so it really subconsciously lets you know that like these people are in a bubble yeah. And there's like no, yeah. there's no one else. There's no one coming to rescue. There's no, you know, it's these people are, are connected through this scene. Um, and, you know, you, you sort of know immediately with that shot of the cashier, like what kind of place this is, you know, it's like they try to do everything. This guy is, is just like your classic, like Southern Texas, uh, like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, he's like exactly the type of person you would picture if someone said, "Who works at this gas station in Texas in 1980?" And uh, and so you know you see that he's like kind of doing this bookkeeping, and you have Anton, and Anton really like avoids eye contact for most of this conversation at the beginning, um, which I think is is really interesting until um, you know really doesn't give this person sort of like a face-to-face interaction but is like uh he's like eating the, i think they're peanuts that he's eating um and like looking down and and is asking to uh you know um purchase his gas and uh finally he like you know when you see that like look up you just have these like two characters that are stacking and like you know that at this point that they're in they're like in this together and you know you have that like sort of tension building and the score starts coming in like very slowly kind of how you were talking about Carson whereas like 
you don't realize that the score is there until the score is there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it works so beautifully, but, um, you know, I just, I feel like this scene just does such a good job of, of placing the power of Anton. Like, you know, he's on the right side of the screen. He's larger. Um, you know, he's at the beginning, he's always, uh, placed in frame with the cashier as well. And so you have this sort of like dynamic between them where you know that uh, Anton is like boxing this character in and is, is dominating over this character. And on the flip side, you have the cashier like shown usually in a clean single through most of this scene where he's, he's by himself. Um, and, you know, you don't really get any close-ups in this scene until you get to the coin toss and you see the reveal of of uh of what it is um and so i think that uh just the way that they craft this sort of back and forth and back and forth and then finally you get that close-up of anton and at this point like the tension is just like you know you just you don't know what's going to happen to this innocent cashier at the side of the road yeah um yeah but it's also a very important scene in terms of character development, not just the visual language where you know that Anton also has some like rule. He has some sort of like mm-hmm. rule set that he isn't going to break. Um, and so, you know, I think that, you know, there's some like, I want to say that at one point it was like, there's like 11 shots or something in this scene. Um, and like really the only changes between them is like a little tighter or like you have like a dolly move where you come across um but it's just this you know it's really not that many shots to build all of this tension between these characters um and i think that that this is just a great exercise especially you know earlier we were talking about like people who want to start getting into cinematography this is like a great scene to look at like why this tension is building and like where they put the characters in the frame and mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i hope this made yeah. some sense yeah, totally. no yeah, yeah it did i mean also in terms of like looking at it from a screenwriting perspective like those things obviously work in tandem um yeah so i think it's a great exercise in cinematography and screenwriting yeah for people for sure. trying to write scripts and shoot them don't put it in your pocket <laughs> <laughs> um cool well, yeah, we've. This was. I, I think Jeff would agree. This, this was, was a good one. Our most comprehensive yeah. <laughs> discussion we've ever had. Definitely on this talked about the movie today. Um, what are what is everybody feeling for? I think I, I have a pretty good idea, but what is everybody feeling for the score yeah. on this one? <laughs> well, uh, we also do time of day. We do time so of day. So Brandon, give your star rating and also the time of day you would prefer to watch this film <laughs> or like think it should be seen. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a solid 10 p.m. You start totally. watching the film. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and my rating, I got to give it a five out of five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's an incredible film. I might have the yeah. exact same answer as Brandon. That is like 10 p.m. Five out of five. Uh, yeah. I yeah I. I'm gonna go 11. Oh. And that's because I'm just someone who stays up a little, you know, later. Right. So for me, that it's probably what some people's like nine. PM yeah, movie. yeah. But yeah, I gave it a four point five, and I have no actual reason <laughs> that I can say this is not a five. 
I think that's like interesting yeah. because I feel like for some reason, and a lot of people that I've talked to, like in relation to this film, it's like you feel like you want to find like a reason why it's not a five out of five. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I just think it's, um, and I've said this before, but it's like my go-to for a perfectly like efficiently crafted film. Um, and I like it's kind of like I think I did the same thing with Whiplash. <laughs> where I gave it a 4.5 and I have no reason to back that up. Yeah. <laughs> where it's just like, for what it's doing, it's like a perfectly crafted film. Yeah, I mean, the lighting is so good, too. <laughs> <laughs> the lighting is so good. Sweet. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, that's no country for old men. I'm glad we, we got to talk about this. I don't know why I'm starting this. I'm just going to spit this take real quick. For a lot of people, there's like a weird "there will be blood, no country for old men" debate, and I am oh really? I don't know why. I think they came out in the same year or something, but people compare them all the time. I'm on this side of things, and that's all. Um, like I I prefer this a lot more than "there will be blood," but also why are we comparing them? I say as I yeah, I mean I, I, <laughs> I mean I think this was also the year that like. Roger Deakins didn't win Best Cinematography because he, like, voted for himself in a different film that he was nominated for. Yeah. And, yeah. like... <laughs> he, yeah. He, he was yeah. nominated twice this year and didn't win either, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think it was um, because, like, people split the vote between them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. this is uh, absolutely... <laughs> this is this is Best Cinematography of 2007. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to questions. We only have two this week. Yeah. We'll keep them brief because this has been... All right, and we have uh, from the $15 patron Jacob Colness. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yep. It is... It's going to be a tough one to answer because I don't know what... But at the same time, it is... Uh, Jacob Colness, the $15 patron, asks, uh, favorite 2021 movie so far? Um, okay. It's tough because... Um, and to be clear... If it, you are a $15 patron, yeah, we, we answer, answer your, your question questions on this, on this episode. The normal podcast. Yeah. This, like any normal podcast, not this specific yeah, yeah, yeah. one. Like if you ask a question next week, we're not going to like re-edit this right, one. Right, right. Um, put your question in this episode. I'm pulling up my uh, my letterboxd. I'm not I have, just on I my have, phone. Yeah, I haven't seen any. T- technically, I haven't seen any 2021 films yet. I know some of these will count, though. And I'm going to go ahead and count the documentary i watched last night called some kind of heaven um directed by lance oppenheim we may or may not have an episode with him coming out eventually uh but yeah the documentary some kind of heaven i think it just went wide today um really good documentary about the villages in florida um yeah i honestly don't know if i've seen any 2021 releases you have yet. seen bj's mobile gift shop which is why i was like that does yeah count. so i mean honestly i think by default it, i mean it's it's still a strong <laughs> choice but it might be by default yeah um so it's a 2019 film but i don't think it at least to me it wasn't available to see before 2021 mm-hmm. uh sound of metal yeah, yeah sound of metal yeah i mean if that's eligible I'll, i probably pick that we did that a few weeks ago on this podcast right okay right but it's a great movie but as far as like uh movies that i can't find anywhere but i'm trying to find is uh nomadland mm-hmm. and uh i'm not sure if it's pronounced minari no, no. or minari. minari yeah 
Minari. Yeah, I really yeah, want to yeah. see that film. Nomadland, I think today was just announced that it's coming out on Hulu, like, at some point. Nice. Nice. I just, I saw that somewhere. I, now I have to look up that uh, real quick. Yeah. Um, um, but anyways, uh, we have one more. Uh, and I'm curious about this one. It comes from Shama5115 from the subreddit. And it is, uh, do you guys play any instruments? And if not, which one would you want to learn? Yeah, okay. So I play a lot of instruments, like, very poorly. So it's like, if I'm using a recording software, I can play them enough to play, like, different notes and chords on them and then, like, kind of mash them up together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I have, like, a mandolin. I don't know why I said that first. I played that, like, two <laughs> times. One of them was for I'm Just a Mantis. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I have like an analog synthesizer. Uh, my parents did them with them. They have like a actual piano. Um, I have an electric guitar, a bass guitar, which I've played one time. Uh, I have I have a bunch of random yeah. stuff. I have a tambourine. Does that count? That I have counts. Yeah, it's percussion. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like a bunch of random stuff. Yeah. How about how about uh, you, Brandy? Um, I played <clears throat> piano. I played for like. I don't know. I played for a long time. Um, the thing is, you do have a piano kid. Yeah, line. I was gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> unsurprising. That for makes some sense. Surprising. Like you seem like you tickle the ivory. <laughs> I really wish that I could play like a tenor sax, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just, I just had so okay. So I worked with Brandon um, at DePaul for like a couple of years. Um, and I just remember that one time when I had to, I made you try to sight read Boston by Augustana on the, the Cinespace piano. Yeah. <laughs> and you, okay, you mostly could do it. So, you know what? Confirm. Brandon plays <laughs> piano. Garston, what about you? Um, I played guitar a lot as a kid. I was pretty good at it and fell out of it for some reason. Uh, I also was a choir kid up until high school. I've lost all those chops, though. Um, <laughs> and I would love to play the piano. I wish I was good at... I know, like, a few chords, but could not. I can't do it. Um, I The thing is, keyboards, like, suck, because you don't get that, like, the the actual feeling of playing the piano. Yeah, yeah. Um, where you, you get, like, the, the, you know, the note sound out of, like, a speaker, but you don't get, like, the vibration feeling um so yeah now that i'm home i just like mess around even though i can barely i just can play chords by like doing math where i'm like okay you do a major chord with like this way and yeah but um yeah now that i'm here i every now and then i just play the piano just because it's like it feels nice even though i am crap at it <laughs> i just kind of hit notes in like if you stay in c it sounds okay if you just like land back on the c at the yeah. end yeah yeah <laughs> cool um, uh, music, um every musician listening to this is like oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just land back on c uh i'm like well i have a song on spotify yeah so. with five thousand plays or something <laughs> um, yeah. and almost all of them were by one guy who was boosting my play count yeah uh jesus well that does it for questions for this week uh we will start wrapping it up jeff is our next movie still to be determined or are we did we decide on promising uh, young woman or something else i 
Uh, yeah, I'm down for whatever, forever you're going for. Okay. So next week we are talking about Promising Young Woman. It is available on Amazon to rent. It's a little pricey, but it is a new release, so that's kind of the best we got. And uh, while I'm here, I want to give a quick thank you to all of our lovely patrons over at Patreon.com/CarsCast, where you can go to get exclusive access to bonus episodes, Q and A's, shoutouts at the end of every episode, Zoom hangouts, and much, much more. It is a fantastic way to support us. A uh, lot of fun going on over at the patreon so without any further ado thank you addison ware allison grace annabelle falk ben chow bex blake root boat brandon you brock schultz camilla eden fozzie bear grant gow hannah e harry remedianakis iron tusk 93 it's me luke hillis i'm back bitches Iva, Jaden Easton, Jacob Colness, Jane V, John Van Hout, Joshua Krizwicki, Kara M, Katie T, Kaylee Patney, Liqui, Liv Rob, Lucian Vecina, Martin Def, Martina, uh, Marilee Borslow, Micah Simmons, Michael Decker, Monroe Page, Parks, Riley Ost, uh, Robert Burke, Saba, Sam Farr, Sophia Arieta, Super Cali, Fragilistic, Expialidocious, Smitty Werbin, Jaggerman Jensen, Taylor Hardy, 10 billion, this podcast peer pressured me into getting a letterbox tom likes beans vegard strom vera s william fontaine jalber uh xavier fossier uh yoki sasquatch yusef a zizzy's zippy zipper zips and zzz. thank you some new new names in there we appreciate it um so yeah that's it jeff i love you all right cool that's the patrons thanks guys what's the last thing we oh read a review um yeah we read a review and then we, we get out of here um this one we read reviews at the end of every episode to encourage you guys to leave reviews because we love hearing what you guys have to say about the podcast this one comes from jp howard uh five stars and it reads i've been a fan of carson for a while and i've always credited his channel for getting me into film discovered the pod earlier in quarantine and i love listening to it while i walk my dog and fall asleep to clear my mind it's just a really fun podcast that can make you think a little about the film being discussed without coming across as pretentious or too intellectual i am obviously also a jeff stan just has really entertaining episodes and always provides a good laugh definitely deserves to be a top 94 film and television podcast in my opinion this is the third review. Thank you. That's a great review. Yeah. That's like three in a row where people say they listen to it while walking their dog. It's become a bit now where people just mention that they walk their dog. Um, That's great. Cool. Well, that does it for the episode. Brandon, do you have anything else to plug uh, before we head out? Um, um, no, I just think uh, get the Explorer Pass because there's not just my film, but there's some really incredible films there. Um, and if you like movies, you're probably going to like, uh, checking out what Sundance has programmed this year. Um, and I think they're doing like, a like an app for your TV and like, they're going to make it super easy since it's all virtual. Um, so yeah, uh, just, you know, stay safe. Uh, don't get too many people to come over and watch the movies or anything, <laughs> but, uh, hopefully it's a, it's a good, like quarantine activity, uh, for people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I'm just going to plug something for Brandon. Uh, Brandon shoots all the music videos for uh, local Chicago band Beach Bunny, and they're they're very good, so yeah. uh, check those out. Yeah. Uh, feel free to check out my Instagram, I guess, the last yeah. thing. Yeah, I'll put it in text. Yeah, like, for real, subscribe to his Instagram. Good good film photography. Yeah. At <laughs> <A-B>. <laughs> um, Cool. Well, Brandon, thanks for being here. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you guys really so much for having me. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have you on again when we want to actually have a good episode where we talk about the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
cool jeff do you have anything else to say uh catch you on the flip side catch you on the flip side thank you flip flip side